0: CHAPTER EIGHTEEN, PART ONE, OF MICAH CLARK. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY PAUL TYSON. MICAH CLARK BY SIR ARTHUR CONAN DOYLE. CHAPTER EIGHTEEN, PART ONE, OF MASTER STEPHEN TIMEWELL, MAYOR OF TAUNTON. Within the town hall, all was bustle and turmoil. At one side, behind a low table covered with green baize, sat two scriveners with great rolls of paper in front of them. A long line of citizens passed slowly before them, each in turn putting down a roll or bag of coins, which was duly noted by the receivers. A square iron-bound chest stood by their side, into which the money was thrown, and we noted as we passed that it was half full of gold pieces. We could not but mark that many of the givers were men whose threadbare doublets and pinched faces showed that the wealth which they were dashing down so readily must have been hoarded up for such a purpose, at the cost of a scanty fare and hard living. Most of them accompanied their gift by a few words of prayer or by some pithy text anent the treasure which rusteth not, or the lending to the lord the town clerk stood by the table giving forth the vouchers for each sum and the constant clack of his tongue filled the hall as he read aloud the names and amounts with his own remarks between abraham willis he shouted as we entered put him down twenty-six pounds and ten shillings you shall receive ten per centum upon this earth master willis and I warrant that it shall not be forgotten hereafter. John Standish, two pounds. William Simons, two guineas. Standfast Healing, forty five pounds. That is a rare blow which you have struck into the ribs of prelacy, good Master Healing. Solomon Warren, five guineas. James White, five shillings. The widow's MIGHT, James. Thomas Bakewell, ten pounds nay master bakewell surely out of three farms on the banks of tone and grazing land in the fattest part of athelney you can spare more than this for the good cause we shall doubtless see you again alderman smithson ninety pounds aha there is a slap for the scarlet woman a few more such and her throne shall be a ducking stool we shall break her down worthy master smithson even as Jehu, the son of Nimshi, broke down the house of Baal. So he babbled on with praise, precept, and rebuke, though the grave and solemn burghers took little notice of his empty clamor. At the other side of the hall were several long wooden drinking troughs, which were used for the storing of pikes and scythes. Special messengers and tithing men had been sent out to scour the country for arms. Who, as they returned, placed their prizes here under the care of the Armorer General. Besides the common weapons of the peasants, there was a puncheon half full of pistols and petronels, together with a good number of muskets, screw guns, snaphances, birding pieces, and carbines, with a dozen bell mouthed brass blunderbusses, and a few old fashioned wall pieces, such as sakers and culverins, taken from the manor houses of the county. From the walls and the lumber rooms of these old dwellings many other arms had been brought to light, which were doubtless esteemed as things of price by our forefathers, but which would seem strange to your eyes in these days, when a musket may be fired once in every two minutes, and will carry a ball to a distance of four hundred paces. There were halberds, battle-axes, morning stars, brownbills, maces, and ancient coats of chain-mill which might even now save a man from sword-stroke or pike-thrust. In the midst of the coming and the going stood Master Timewell, the mayor, ordering all things like a skilful and provident commander. I could understand the trust and love which his townsmen had for him as I watched him laboring with all the wisdom of an old man and the blithesomeness of a young one. He was hard at work as we approached in trying the lock of a falconet, but perceiving us he came forward and saluted us with much kindliness. "'I have heard much of ye,' said he, "'how ye caused the faithful to gather to a head, and so beat off the horsemen of the usurper. It will not be the last time, I trust, that ye shall see their backs. I hear, Colonel Saxon, that ye have seen much service abroad.' I have been the humble tool of Providence in much good work," said Saxon, with a bow. I have fought with the Swedes against the Brandenburgers, and again with the Brandenburgers against the Swedes, my time and conditions with the latter having been duly carried out. I have afterwards, in the Bavarian service, fought against Swedes and Brandenburgers combined. Besides, having undergone the great wars on the Danube against the Turk, and two campaigns with the masseurs and the palatinate, which latter might be better termed holiday-making than fighting. A soldierly record in very truth, cried the mayor, stroking his white beard. I hear that you are also powerfully borne onwards in prayer and song. You are, I perceive, one of the old breed of forty-four, Colonel, the men who were in the saddle all day and on their knees half the night. When shall we see the like of them again? A few such broken wrecks as I are left, with the fire of our youth all but burned out, and naught left but the ashes of lethargy and lukewarmness. Nay, nay, said Saxon, your position and present business will scarce jump with the modesty of your words. But here are young men who will find the fire if their elders bring the brains. This is Captain Micah Clark, and Captain Lockerby and Captain the Honourable Sir Jervis Jerome, who have all come far to draw their swords for the downtrodden faith. "'Taunton welcomes ye, young sirs,' said the Mayor, looking a trifle askance, as I thought, at the Baronet, who had drawn out his pocket-mirror and was engaged in the brushing of his eyebrows. "'I trust that during your stay in this town ye will all four take up your abode with me. "'Tis a homely roof and simple fare,' a soldier's wants are few. And now, Colonel, I would fain have your advice as to these three drakes, whether, if rehooped, they may be deemed fit for service, and also as to these demi cannons which were used in the old parliamentary days, and may yet have a word to say in the people's cause. The old soldier and the Puritan instantly plunged into a deep and learned disquisition, upon the merits of wall pieces drakes culverins, sakers minions mortar pieces falcons and patereros concerning all which pieces of ordnance saxon had strong opinions to offer fortified by many personal hazards and experiences he then dwelt upon the merits of fire arrows and fire pikes in the attack or defence of places of strength and had finally begun to descant upon sconces Directis lateribus, and upon works semilunar, rectilineal, horizontal, or orbicular, with so many references to His Imperial Majesty's lines at Gran that it seemed that his discourse would never find an end. We slipped away at last, leaving him still discussing the effects produced by the Austrian Granados upon a Bavarian brigade of pikes at the Battle of Obergraustach. Curse me if I like accepting this old fellow's offer, said Sir Jervis in an undertone. I have heard of these Puritan households, much grace to little sack, and text flying about as hard and as jagged as flintstones, to bed at sundown, and a sermon ready if ye do but look kindly at the waiting-wench or hum the refrain of a ditty. His home may be larger, but it could scarce be stricter than that of my own father, I remarked i'll warrant that cried reuben when we have been a morris dancing or having a saturday night game of kiss in the ring or parson has lost his coat i have seen ironside joe stride past us and cast a glance at us which has frozen the smile upon our lips i warrant that he would have aided colonel pride to shoot the bears and hack down the maypoles fratricide for such a man to shoot a bear quoth sir Jervis. WITH ALL RESPECT, FRIEND CLARK, FOR YOUR HONORED PROGENITOR. NO MORE THAN FOR YOU TO SHOOT AT A popinjay. I ANSWERED, LAUGHING. BUT, AS TO THE MAYOR'S OFFER, WE CAN BUT GO TO MEET WITH HIM NOW, AND SHOULD IT PROVE IRKSOME, IT WILL BE EASY FOR YOU TO PLEAD SOME EXCUSE, AND SO GET HONORABLY QUIT OF IT. BUT BEAR IN MIND, SIR Jervis, THAT SUCH HOUSEHOLDS ARE IN VERY TRUTH DIFFERENT TO ANY WITH WHICH YOU ARE ACQUAINTED. So, curb your tongue, or offence may come of it. Should I cry, hem, or cough, it will be a sign to you that you had best beware. Agreed, young Solomon, cried he. It is indeed well to have a pilot like yourself who knows these godly waters. For my own part, I should never know how near I was to the shoals. But our friends have finished the battle of Ober-what's-its-name, and are coming towards us i trust worthy mr mayor that your difficulties have been resolved they are sir replied the puritan i have been much edified by your colonel's discourse and i have little doubt that by serving under him ye will profit much by his ripe experience very like sir very like said sir jervis carelessly but it is nigh one o'clock the mayor continued our frail flesh cries aloud for meat and drink i beg that ye will do me the favour to accompany me to my humble dwelling where we shall find the household board already dressed with these words he led the way out of the hall and paced slowly down four street the people falling back to right and to left as he passed and raising their caps to do him reverence here and there as he pointed out to us Arrangements had been made for barring the road with strong chains to prevent any sudden rush of cavalry In places too at the corner of a house a hole had been knocked in the masonry through which peeped the dark muzzle of a carronade or wall-piece These precautions were the more necessary as several bodies of the royal horse besides the one which we had repulsed were known to be within the Dean and the town deprived of its ramparts was open to an incursion from any daring commander the chief magistrates house was a squat square-faced stone building within a court which opened on to east street the peaked oak door spangled with broad iron nails had a gloomy and surly aspect but the hall within was lightful and airy with a bright polished cedar planking and high panelling of some dark-grained wood which gave forth a pleasant smell as of violets a broad night of steps rose up from the farther end of the hall down which as we entered a young sweet-faced maid came tripping with an old dame behind her who bore in her hands a pile of fresh napery at the sight of us the elder one retreated up the stairs again whilst the younger came flying down three steps at a time, threw her arms around the old mayor's neck, and kissed him fondly, looking hard into his face the while, as a mother gazes into that of a child with whom she fears that aught may have gone amiss. "'Weary again, Daddy, weary again,' she said, shaking her head anxiously, with a small white hand upon each of his shoulders. "'Indeed and indeed,' Thy spirit is greater than thy strength. Nay, nay, lass, said he, passing his hand fondly over her rich brown hair. The workman must toil until the hour of rest is rung. This, gentleman, is my granddaughter, Ruth, the sole relic of my family and the light of mine old age. The whole grove hath been cut down, and only the oldest oak and the youngest sapling left. These cavaliers, little one, have come from afar to serve the cause, and they have done us the honor to accept of our poor hospitality. Ye are come in good time, gentlemen, she answered, looking us straight in the eyes with a kindly smile, as a sister might greet her brothers. The household is gathered round the table, and the meal is ready. But not more ready than we, cried the stout old burgher. Do thou conduct our guests to their places? whilst I seek my room and doff these robes of office with my chain and tippet, ere I break my fast. Following our fair guide, we passed into a very large and lofty room, the walls of which were wainscoted with carved oak and hung at either end with tapestry. The floor was tessellated after the French fashion and plentifully strewn with skins and rugs. At one end of the apartment stood a great white marble fireplace, like a small room in itself, fitted up, as was the ancient custom, with an iron stand in the center and with broad stone benches in the recess on either side. Lines of hooks above the chimney-piece had been used, as I surmise, to support arms, for the wealthy merchants of England were wont to keep enough in their houses to at least equip their apprentices and craftsmen. They had now, however, been removed, nor was there any token of the troublous times save a single heap of pikes and halberds piled together in a corner. Down the center of this room there ran a long and massive table, which was surrounded by thirty or forty people, the greater part of whom were men. They were on their feet as we entered, and a grave-faced man at the farther end was drawing forth an interminable grace which began as a thanksgiving for food but wandered away into questions of church and state and finally ended in a supplication for israel now in arms to do battle for the lord while this was proceeding we stood in a group by the door with our caps doffed and spent our time in observing the company more closely than we could have done with courtesy had their eyes not been cast down and their thoughts elsewhere they were of all ages, from graybeards down to lads scarce out of their teens, all with the same solemn and austere expression of countenance, and clad in the same homely and somber garb. Save their wide white collars and cuffs, not a string of any color lessened the sad severity of their attire. Their black coats and doublets were cut straight and close. AND THEIR CORDOVAN LEATHER SHOES, WHICH IN THE DAYS OF OUR YOUTH WERE USUALLY THE SEAT OF SOME LITTLE ORNAMENT, WERE UNIFORMLY SQUARE-TOED AND TIED WITH SAD-COLORED RIBBON. MOST OF THEM WORE PLAIN SWORD-BELTS OF UNTANNED HIDE, BUT THE WEAPONS THEMSELVES, WITH THEIR BROAD FELT HATS AND BLACK CLOAKS, WERE LAID UNDER THE BENCHES OR PLACED UPON THE SETTLES WHICH LINED THE WALLS. They stood with their hands clasped and their heads bent, listening to the untimely address, and occasionally by some groan or exclamation, testifying that the preacher's words had moved them. The overgrown grace came at last to an end when the company sat silently down and proceeded without pause or ceremony to attack the great joints which smoked before them. Our young hostess led us to the end of the table, where a high carded chair with a black cushion upon it marked the position of the master of the house. Mistress Timewell seated herself upon the right of the mayor's place, with Sir Jervis beside her, while the post of honor upon the left was assigned to Saxon. On my left sat Lockerbie whose eyes, I observed, had been fixed in undisguised and all-absorbing admiration upon the Puritan maiden from the first moment that he had seen her. The table was of no great breadth, so that we could talk across, in spite of, the clatter of plates and dishes, the bustle of servants, and the deep murmur of voices. This is my father's household, said our hostess, addressing herself to Saxon, there is not one of them who is not in his employ he hath many apprentices in the wool trade we sit down forty to meet every day in the year and to write good fare too quoth saxon glancing down the table salmon ribs of beef loin of mutton veal pasties what could man wish for more plenty of good home-brewed too to wash it down if worthy master Timel can arrange that the army be victualled after the same fashion i for one shall be beholden to him a cup of dirty water and a charred morsel cooked on a ramrod over the campfire are like to take the place of these toothsome dainties is it not best to have faith said the puritan maiden shall not the almighty feed his soldiers even as Elisha was fed in the wilderness and hagar in the desert ay exclaimed a lanky-haired swarthy young man who sat upon the right of sir jervis he will provide for us even as the stream of water gushed forth out of dry places even as the quails and the manna lay thick upon barren soil so i trust young sir quoth saxon but we must none the less arrange a victual train with a staff of wains duly numbered and an intendant over each after the german fashion such things should not be left to chance pretty mistress timewell glanced up with a half startled look at this remark as though shocked at the want of faith implied in it her thoughts might have taken the form of words had not her father entered the room at the moment the whole company rising and bowing to him as he advanced to his seat be seated friends said he with a wave of his hand we are a homely folk colonel saxon and the old-time virtue of respect for our elders has not entirely forsaken us i trust ruth he continued that thou hast seen to the wants of our guests we all protested that we had never received such attention and hospitality tis well tis well said the good wool worker but your plates are clear and your glass is empty william look to it a good workman is ever a good trencherman if apprentice of mine cannot clean his platter i know that i shall get little from him with carter and teasel thew and sinew need building up a slice from that round of beef william touching that same battle of Obergraustock, colonel what part was played in the fray by that regiment of pandor horse in which as i understand thou didst hold a commission this was a question on which as may be imagined Saxon had much to say, and the pair were soon involved in a heated discussion, in which the experiences of Roundway Down and Marston Moor were balanced against the results of a score of unpronounceable fights in the Styrian Alps and along the Danube. Stephen Timewell, in his lusty youth, had led first a troop and then a regiment through the wars of the Parliament, from Chalgrove Field to the final battle at Worcester so that his warlike passages though less varied and extensive than those of our companion were enough to enable him to form and hold strong opinions these were in the main the same as those of the soldier of fortune but when their ideas differed upon any point there arose forthwith such a cross-fire of military jargon such speech of estacados and palisados such comparisons of light-horse and heavy of pikemen and musketeers of lanzknechte leaguers and onfalls, that the unused ear became bewildered with the babble at last on some question of fortification the mayor drew his outworks with the spoons and knives on which saxon opened his parallels with lines of bread and pushing them rapidly up with traverses and covered ways, he established himself upon the re entering angle of the mayor's redoubt. This opened up a fresh question as to countermines, with the result that the dispute raged with renewed vigor. End of chapter 18, part one.